Uh, we're going to pick it up in Esther chapter 5, if you have a Bible with you this morning. And I'm just going to give you a little recap as to where we're at right now, in case you missed the first couple of weeks. You can jump online. We actually have a podcast now. You can, uh, you can um, go on our podcast and get caught up on, on the messages, too. Um, but uh, I'll give you a recap right now as to what's happened so far. So the main two characters in this story are Esther and Mordecai. They're cousins. But Mordecai is also Esther's adopted father. Esther is an orphan. Mordecai, being the older cousin, adopts her. And they're left over from captivity. They were brought into Babylon uh, with, with the other Israelites. And then King Cyrus came along, released them out of captivity, sent them back to their land. A lot of people went back. A lot of people stayed in captivity. And so now there's a different empire, a Persian empire that has come along and they have a king named Xerxes. And he is the king over this massive empire, over the entire known world at this point. And his uh, wife, Queen Vashti, um, made the king upset. And so uh, he decided that he was going to banish her from the kingdom, that she was no longer the queen, and that they would have a contest to see who could become the new queen. And I said, this is basically the bachelor Persian edition. And so Esther wins this competition. She makes a good first impression with the king. She becomes the new queen. And um, then uh, she is placed in this position of power and authority and, and has this influence with the king. And last week we talked about how Mordecai um, got himself into a little bit of hot water with this guy named Haman, that he refused to bow down and acknowledge this guy who the king had elevated to this position. And as a result, uh, Haman was really upset with him and, and uh, Mordecai acknowledged the fact for the first time that he was a Jew. And so Haman, in a completely rational response, said, well, I'm not going to only kill you but I'm going to kill all of your people as well. So there were 18 million Jews at the time, and they were slated to be murdered, essentially, on this specific day. And so now we have this major complication in this story where, where um, now all Jewish people are in danger, and Esther, a, a secret Jew, is in danger as well, even though she probably doesn't even know it at first. And Mordecai comes to her and says, hey, we need your help. You're in this position. Maybe you're in this spot for such a time as this. And that's been the title of our series. And so this is week three of five. And uh, this, this week, Esther is starting to take action against what Haman has set into order. Because initially when, when uh, Mordecai said something to her, her response was, well, I can't really do anything. I haven't even seen the king in 30 days. And, and Mordecai pushed her a little bit. And so we left off last week with, with Esther saying, okay, get everybody you know together and we're going to fast for three days. I'm assuming they're praying as well during that, that time that they, these, are, these are Jews who are acknowledging the, the God of the universe, the God who created them. And so uh, fasting without prayer is just a, a diet that doesn't work, all right? So they're, they're probably praying and fasting at the same time. And, and on behalf of Esther the queen, and she's going to approach the king. Now, she wants to make a good first impression, right? Has anybody ever been in a position where you've wanted to make a 
good first impression. Like maybe you've had a job interview and so you, you dress up nicely and you know you try to come off as somebody who knows what they're talking about. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Or maybe you're flirting with, with a girl or a guy and you're like, hey, you know, I want to make a good first impression. Some of you who are married remember what that was like the first time that you met your spouse and, and trying to make a good impression for them. Sometimes it's even with sharing your faith, right? You're, you're trying to introduce Christ to someone else and you want to make a good impression. Well, I remember one very specific incident in my life where uh, I was trying to make a good impression. This was back when I was a junior hire. All right, yes, I'm going way, way back to my junior high years. And there was a girl that I liked and... Um, so our families were hanging out that day uh, at the lake. Their family had a boat, and so we were out tubing on the water and having a good time, and they were, they were new to the area, and, and I liked this girl. And so I wanted to make a, a good first impression, and we were having a lot of fun that day. And I remember, like, we were at this park, and we were sitting on the swing set and, and swinging and, and just talking. And I remember at one point, thinking, oh, I'm going to jump off this swing. This is 13-year-old Paul here thinking, that'll impress a girl, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so I jumped off the swing, and I remember distinctly hearing this noise. <sighs> and I realized that my swim trunks had gotten caught on something on that swing. <laughs> And when I landed on that ground, I kept running. <laughs> I ran straight behind a pine tree, and I yelled for my brother to come find me. I'm like, David, get over here right now. And he came back and, and, and brought me a beach towel. And so I spent the rest of the day with the towel wrapped around my waist. Talk about a humiliating moment. Now, maybe you haven't been there, but we've all been in places where we've embarrassed ourselves with, with the first impression where we wanted somebody to see something in us, but it didn't come off in the right way. And so, as I said last week, we ended the story with Mordecai challenging Esther, kind of threatening Esther a little bit, um, reminding her that she's a Jew too, her life's at risk here. She said, I haven't seen the king in even 30 days. This was not a loving home where the wife and the husband are partners in the marriage. Esther is the queen, but she's not even the only woman in this scenario. In fact, the king has an entire harem of women that are on call for him. So in order for her to get an audience with the king, she would either have to be invited into his presence or she would have to approach him. And we said last week that this was an incredible risk for Esther because if he didn't extend his golden scepter to her and acknowledge her and receive her in that way, then she would be executed. In fact, I was just reading this week in one of the commentaries on the book of Esther that they've, archaeologists have uncovered these, um, what are they called again? Uh, bas reliefs. So they're like basically these, these three-dimensional paintings. They're carved into stone or whatever instead of being painted, but um, they look like a picture, but they have like shape to them. And there was a, there's two of them that depict this Persian king sitting on the throne 
with a long scepter in his hand, like is described in the book of Esther, and a man standing directly behind the throne with a giant axe. All right, so this is the situation that Esther is walking into here. The threat is immediately present. If the king doesn't receive her, doesn't extend that scepter to her, then her head comes off in that very instance. And we remember Esther ultimately coming to this place where she, she it takes a little convincing, but she says, if I die, I die. But if I don't do anything at all, I can't live with that possibility. Something has happened inside of Esther over the last week that we've been talking. She was scared. She felt powerless. She hadn't seen the king in 30 days, but Mordecai called something out in her. And I want us to learn two lessons from Esther's life as she kind of transforms into the woman that God has called her to be. Things that we can learn about her that should apply to us as well. And two things that I believe that, that are present in people that God can use. The first one is this. People that God can use know their identity. They know who they are. See, up until this point in the story, identity has probably been Esther's biggest struggle. She's been disobediently living in a foreign land. Her family shouldn't even be there at this time. They should be back in their homeland. Um, she's kept her, her heritage and her faith a secret up until this point. Um, she was a willing participant in the king's sick contest to find a new queen. Uh, and when her people were in danger, her initial response was, I can't do anything. I can't do anything at all. Maybe you're feeling that right now. Maybe you have a coworker who's going through a divorce. Maybe your neighbor is sick. Maybe you have a friend who's struggling with their mental health. And you're sitting there thinking, okay, God, what do you want me to do about it? What can I do um, that would provide anything effective in that moment. Mordecai says those words that are the, the title of this series, maybe you're here for such a time as this. And the same thing applies to each one of us. Maybe you've been placed in the situation that you're in for a purpose and for a reason. So I asked her fast for three days. She prayed during that time. She finishes by saying, if I die, I die. Pretty bold words for a scared little girl. I mean, you think about it, Esther was probably a teenager when all this is going down, or maybe in her early 20s. Let's read about what she does in Esther chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. It says, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters. And while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance of the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter. And everybody says, Whew, right, that was in his hand. And then Esther approached it, touched the tip of the scepter, and the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to the half of my kingdom. Now, look at what she does here. Like, she goes and puts on her royal robes, 
She, she goes to see the king. She gets all dressed up. She wants to look right, look appropriate. She wants to honor and respect him. And the king says, what do you want? Anything up to half of my kingdom. Now, let's just be honest for a second right here. How many of you, when you heard those words, would forget about the reason that you came there in the first place? <laughs> what do you want? Up to half of my kingdom. I'll take that. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. Uh, listen, I'm not going to lie. The temptation would be real in that moment. Now, maybe some commentators have kind of speculated that that's not really what he was offering. That was just a common expression to say that nobody would actually choose that because you'd probably end up dead. Um, but... Even so, like you think about that and hearing that, it, it's distracting, right? It's distracting from what God has, has put her in this position to do. And so Esther remains focused. Here's what she says in verse 4. And Esther said, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I've prepared for the king. So he offers her anything in the world up to half of my kingdom. And she says, I want you to come to dinner. Now, here's the second thing we can learn about Esther and about people that God can use. And that's that they know their purpose. Listen, if you want to win favor with people, there are some lessons to be learned from this story. Esther shows so much maturity here. Right? She approaches the king with respect and with honor and just the way that she dresses. And, and when he extends the scepter to her, the temptation for most of us would be, here's my opportunity. I can get exactly what I want. But she hasn't seen the king in 30 days, right? She's not just making a request. She sees an opportunity to develop this relationship. Now, does she have an agenda? Yeah, of course she does. Right? She wants to save her people. But if she wants to have influence, she knows that the king needs to trust her. Can I tell you something? As a Christian, we should all have an agenda. Right? We're not just walking around this world aimlessly, like saying, okay, I'm a believer, but you know, whatever happens, happens. That is not what God has called us to do. As the church of Jesus Christ, we have an agenda. We have a purpose for being here. In fact, God's commission to us that he gave through Jesus before he ascended into heaven is to go and make disciples of the world. That is our agenda. Now, I've actually, I heard a pastor say this a while back, that it was wrong for Christians to pursue relationships for the purpose of evangelism. He said, it's manipulative to use your relationship for your agenda. What a steaming pile of garbage. Okay? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But <laughs> let me ask you a question. If you discovered that one of your friends became your friend just so that you would trust them and that eventually that they would have information to give you that would save your life, would you feel betrayed by that friend? No. You would feel grateful that they would invest so much time and energy into something that could save your life. Well, guess what? We have the key to unlocking the hope of all eternity for the world. We hold that in our hands. That information has been entrusted to us and the assignment has been given to us to share that with the world around us. Is it being manipulative and mean to give people that information? 
to care about them enough to invest time into those relationships so that when we present it, they can hear it? No, that's not selfish. That's the opposite of selfish. It's not selfish to befriend someone to tell them about Jesus. That's loving. That's compassion. Here's what I'm saying if it's not clear enough. You absolutely should try to develop friendships and relationships with the definitive goal of pointing people to Christ. That is our purpose as the church of Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here saying, I don't have any non-Christian friends, okay, go make some. Right? Go find one. Go, go be a friend. There are millions of people across this world, billions of people that are longing for friendship. So go be a friend to somebody. We're going to read this verse in chapter 13. It says, And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. Here's what's happened to Haman. Everything in his life was driven by his massive ego. It was all about him. Did you catch what he asked for when the king, when he thought it was about him? He wanted to wear the king's clothes. He wanted to ride the king's horse. He wanted to wear the king's crown. You know why? He wanted to be king. Because his life was all about himself. And even when he knew he was beat, he was distraught and he was sad, but he wasn't repentant. See, this story could have had a different ending if he would have realized, you know what? Things aren't working out for me. Maybe I should change my plans. Esther is the complete opposite of this. She's not living for herself in this moment. She's living for her God and for her people. She has a clear picture of her identity and a clear picture of her purpose. It's given her life meaning and the consequences of her actions are less important than her commitment to her purpose. That's why she said, if I die, I die. Listen, here's the question for you this morning. Do you know who you are? Here's some questions you can ask if you're unsure, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come as I ask them. What gets you up in the morning? What motivates you when you wake up? What are the things that you think about every single day? What is your mind focused on? Uh, here's another one. If two things are competing for your attention, how do you decide what wins? So the last one is your mood or outlook dependent on certain life events going a certain way. In other words, if something goes wrong, does that put you in a bad mood instantly? If something is going well, then you're in a good mood and your emotions and your life are just a roller coaster based on, on the circumstances of your life. Do you know who you are? Do you know who God's made you to be? 
Second question is, do you know what you're here for? Maybe some questions you can ask there are, who do I have influence over? Who are the people that I can speak into their life and that they hear what I have to say? Maybe as a parent, the most important person that you can speak into their life is your children. Maybe it's a friend or a coworker. It's another question. What percentage of my life is invested in the temporary versus the eternal? We spend a lot of time worrying about things that aren't going to last, myself included. But this one, do people in my life outside of my church even know what I believe? Listen, I'll be honest. There were moments in my life where I would say, no, they don't really know. I did my church life, my outside church life, kept them separated and isolated. The Holy Spirit convicted me of that. That's not integrity if we're one person one place and another person another place. I want people to know what's inside of me. Here's a, here's a tough question. When's the last time I had an intentional conversation with someone about spiritual things outside of the church? I wanna close this morning with a challenge. Now, last week, I, I gave you a different challenge and um, some of you probably participated in this. I asked you to write down three people that you would pray for every day this week. I hope you did that. This week, I have a new challenge for you. And that's that over the next two weeks, as we wrap up this series, we have two more weeks to go. I'm gonna ask that every person here would seek to have one conversation, at least one conversation, with someone who's not a believer, or maybe you don't know if they're a believer or not yet. Maybe somebody from your list, maybe a random conversation, but just one conversation over the next two weeks about something more than small talk, like having a real conversation about about the things of God. Maybe it's sharing your testimony. Maybe it's praying for someone. Maybe it's just, um, you know, speaking about the things that are important that, that you value. And it might come up naturally and it might not. Listen, Esther didn't just wait for the right moment to have this conversation with the king. She fasted and then she created an opportunity. And doing this, it's gonna force you to kind of do something that's uncomfortable, right? Um, there have been moments in my life where I've just felt the conviction to do something and say something, and I'm like, you know what, God, I just really don't want to right now. And there have been times where I've just not done it. But every time I've taken that step of faith, God has honored it. I'm not saying that every conversation that I've had leads to somebody praying a prayer of salvation, although that has happened. But I'll tell you what, if you never seek to have those conversations, it's never gonna happen. Now, here's what we're gonna do. I have, my, uh, I have this number that we're gonna put up on the screen. And what I want you to do 
is text your name to this number, okay? And I'm going to get these messages. They're gonna go directly to me. And by doing this, you're saying, I'm in, I'm gonna do this. Over the next two weeks, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna take a step of faith and say, God, okay, I'm gonna have a conversation this week with somebody who doesn't know you about something relating to my faith, some form of spiritual conversation. I'm committing to do that. And listen, I'm gonna be open to the Holy Spirit. And if he opens the door to have that naturally, great. And if it doesn't happen, I'm gonna find a way to make that happen. I'm gonna stretch my faith in this instance. I'm gonna do something uncomfortable. And, and can I tell you something? If you agree to do this, you're not alone, okay? Because my staff, they have to do it, all right? <laughs> I've already told them, I've assigned them this job. So we're gonna be doing it with you. But the question is, who's gonna be bold in here? Listen, we're going to just stand here and go through the motions and say, yeah, I'm a nice little Christian and, and I go to church, and but never do anything with my faith and never expand to sharing that with someone else. Then what good are we for the kingdom of God? Now, if you text this number, we're going to share some resources. We're going to give you some encouragement. And we're also going to use it to hear your story, too, because I believe that there are going to be some testimonies as you begin to step out in faith and be bold and share your faith with somebody else that, that God is going to open those doors of opportunity, that he's going to, that he's going to speak into that person that, that you're sharing, to, and that there's going to be testimonies as a result of that. And in two weeks, we're going to share some of those testimonies. So this number will be a way that you can share those testimonies as well.